Episode 316 of the Biz Talk with Bill Roy podcast. The Wichita Business Journal created this podcast because we want to provide you with some insight into the people, places, companies, organizations, and issues that are important to Wichita's business community. I'm editor Kirk Semenoff. We continue our interviews with Wichita mayoral primary candidates this week with Celeste Reset, who came into the public eye as one of the leaders of the Save Century 2 initiative. And since then, she's become the leading person keeping an eye on City Hall from the outside. In episode 316, I'll ask her why she'd rather be keeping an eye on City Hall from the inside. Celeste Reset is straight ahead. But first, let me tell you about the weekly edition of the Wichita Business Journal. This week's cover story is a look at the machinist union strike at Spirit Aerosystems. Reporter Josh Witt takes a deep look at the why of the strike, why machinists feel like now is the time to be heard, and why it's a sign of what's coming nationally in the labor picture. The cover story begins on page 12. The list this week is business advocacy groups. See what organizations are out there, see what they're doing, and see what kind of revenue they bring in. The list is on page 9. Our Women Who Lead series continues this month with a spotlight on top human resources professionals. See who they are and see what they think are the greatest current challenges in the HR industry. Our Women Who Lead series begins on page 15. Get to know Stacy Williamson of the WSU Foundation and Alumni Engagement in our 10 Minutes With feature this week. 10 Minutes is on page 35. Part of our mission is to help small and medium-sized businesses grow. One way we try to accomplish that is through our weekly lead section. We list bankruptcies, new real estate deals, building permits, new corporations, who owes back taxes, and court judgments. Our lead section this week begins on page 31. Equity Bank means business. That's why they've created business solutions to help you solve your business challenges. Visit them today at equitybank.com. Celeste Reset is here with me today. She's one of the mayoral candidates for the August 1st primary, trying to advance to the November general election. Uh, Celeste, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Kirk. I really appreciate it, and thanks to your listeners, too. A couple weeks ago, we had Neil Allen of Wichita State Political Science on, and he called you the most effective activist maybe in the city's history. Oh! <laughs> Why do you think that is? Oh, that is a nice compliment. Tell him I appreciate that. Well, I guess that's because from one small idea, we generated 17,265 signatures during COVID. That's pretty incredible. <laughs> I would say so, but I think he's also talking in terms of what you've done since then. Sure. Sure. You, you have kept an eye on the city council, probably unlike anybody else. Yes, um, I have, and I'll expand upon that a little bit. So with my accounting background after Save Century 2, and you know I was sued by the city, that was, and that was horrific. But after the lawsuit was settled and the petition was found valid, I started turning my attention to the city finances. And having been a forensic auditor and accountant with the FDIC, I started finding mistakes in the financial statements, I saw things that were not correct, that were stated incorrectly. I found misspent money. I found development deals that were not going anywhere. And I was truly appalled at the lack of effective business leadership with our elected officials and the mayor. And that's actually when I decided to run. Uh, was that an easy decision to, to, to run? 
No, it was not an easy decision to run. And in fact, it's not easy to run. <laughs> as you're finding out. <laughs> yes, as I'm finding out. Um, but my kids who know me know that when I'm passionate about something, whether it's the community or the church or the schools, I've done this in my entire lifetime, jumped in and tried to improve wherever we were and wherever we lived. And Wichita is my home city. So it just seemed like a natural progression to say, you know, if I see a lack of business acumen in the mayor, well, then I need to step forward and say, okay, I'm going to put my 25 years of banking experience behind me and run. Mm -hmm. I think the taxpayers deserve that chance. I want to get into your background. You are a lifelong Wichita. Yes. You're, you're, where'd you grow up here in town? Um, well, I started at OK Elementary School on mm -hmm. Bella Vista on the west side. Mm -hmm. And then we moved over into the College Hill area. I graduated from Hyde, was a Robinson cheerleader, and then went to East and was concert mistress. Went on to KU with an accounting degree, WSU with an MBA. Mm -hmm. And later in my career, for a period of time, I did live in Indiana. And they sent me to CUNA Management School at the University of Wisconsin and then returned with the um, FDIC's opportunity. What is it about auditing and that, that profession that, that grabbed you? Um, well, let's just say they have found that music is really important in the life because if you're a good musician, it develops into math and numbers. So I went from being a violinist to finding I really loved numbers and started as a cost accountant at Interest Bank. They promoted me to accounting officer. I then went on to be an auditor, a chief internal auditor, continued my career as a manager of settlement services at Purdue University Credit Union. 20 million went through my department every day and I was responsible for finding the proper home for it. That was quite a job. And then the FDIC made me a job offer and I turned it down the first time. I really enjoyed what I was doing, but the second time I took it because it was a brand new position called investigation specialist. And after the 2008 economic crisis, I thought I can do this. I can find the fraud if there's fraud. And I loved what I did with the FDIC. Mm -hmm. And that is translated into your, you know, in the, in the, I guess it's not a post-Safe Century II initiative, but in the way that you have really tried to keep the council and the mayor and the manager on, it, on their toes. I think I have, and thank you for recognizing that. In fact, a city council member told me that he preferred I stay on the outside <laughs> doing what I'm doing to keep them on their toes and not run for mayor. <laughs> Tell me how Safe Century 2 started in your mind, uh, just from a, an organic experience. Um, so briefly, I had, I had retired from the FDIC because I traveled in three big regions, Kansas City, New York, and Atlanta, and it was hard to travel. And so I retired. Traveling was enough. I was ready to retire. My father passed away in 2012, and I was going through his papers and saw that first article about Riverfront Master Legacy. And I was so excited about Riverfront development, I took some of my dad's original artifacts and went to the meeting at the boathouse. Mm -hmm. It ended up being a horrific experience where I was ordered out of the building for hijacking the meeting, which was upstairs, and I was downstairs at an empty table. And at that very moment when I was gathering my information up to leave, here came Diane Leffler with the Wichita Eagle. And he wrote an article on the lady who I won't mention with Bradley and Bothner that told me to leave, and myself as being there just as a citizen to see what was going on and excited about the first public discussion. And when you know it, that article in the paper spurred 
calls to me from people who had been there and were horrified that I had been asked to leave. So yes, it was purely organic, and if that hadn't happened, we wouldn't be talking today. <laughs> what would you be doing today? <laughs> I'd be playing with my grandchildren and traveling around the country. Yep. <laughs> When did it get to be such a passion? Or you, you talked about the story and, and how people reacted to that, but did it take a while for it to become just so passionate with you, or was it automatic? Um, let me just say, and, and don't make fun of this, but I'm a very um, service-oriented, passionate person. Whether it was creating a rainforest room or the lunch bunch in the schools, whatever I've done, when an idea takes me, I really go with it. That's just my personality. So when people started reaching out and Greg Kite with the Historic Preservation Alliance said he'd be the treasurer and we started, we held public forums and Mary Jane Teal, Bob, Bill Warren, Annie Garvey, Dean Bradley, folks started getting on board. This got exciting. We had speakers from Kansas City. We held a, a standing room only architectural forum at the Corbin Center at WSU, which is also a Frank Lloyd Wright building. And so it just grew from there into newsletters, fundraising, fighting the lawsuit, and then transitioned into why are we doing these crazy development deals? And then looking at the finances and absolutely being a Paul to see Joan of Arc standing in dirt and weeds, seeing A. Price Woodard Park, neglected, rusted railing, keep out signs. It broke my heart to realize the city had fallen into such neglect. Why do you think that is? I think that's because we've shifted our focus. Now, I'm not against economic development. I want to start by saying that because I want to see the city of Wichita grow. And of course, jobs come to this great city for our, for our folks of Wichita. But I see what we've done is just bad economic deals with a 99-year lease on Waterwalk, where instead of five towers, we've got one condo. Instead of over 1,000 jobs in Waterwalk, we're lucky if we maybe have a handful. Um, then I look at land that was sold for a dollar an acre around the ball stadium, which we didn't vote on, and Jordan Co Corbett turns around and sells the ball team, but hangs on to that land. And what has he done? Nothing. And then I look at the West Bank development, and I see where all the promises for retail businesses, hotels, restaurants, what have we done in four years? Nothing. So I see a lot of things that we've done for certain individuals of the community that perhaps are campaign contributors and maybe well-known in the community, but we don't write smart contracts. I don't think we have the proper people in the jobs to provide oversight to Robert Layton. He overstated the ballpark revenue. I don't know if you know that or not. And now that debt, that $75 million debt on the ballpark, we will have to cover out of the general fund. And that's pretty horrific. And that comes at a time when we're looking at, at budget shortfalls for the yes. city budget over the next you know, in 2025, 26, yes. 27. Yes, and in the meantime, I drive here from West Douglas and the streets are a mess. There's potholes, there's water flooding. I see, like I said, parks that have been neglected. Um, you know, A. Price Woodard Park was a great example. And I just think we have shifted our money away from quality of life, public safety, and taking care of our city to one that gives handouts to developers that are unfair and not um, correctly enforced. Let's, I'll give you another example, the Wichita Ice Center. We gave Rodney Stephen a loan for $750,000 to upgrade that building when he managed it. He put the Genesis gym on the second floor. That was pristine and beautiful. What did he do to the rest of the building? He ran it down. He put 
um, didn't take care of the equipment, there were broken lights, the scoreboards didn't work, and the folks of the Wichita Eye Center came to me for help. Eventually the contract ended, he left. You know what? He still owes the city $750,000. He made only one loan payment in 10 years. And when he moved out of the Wichita Eye Center, he ripped up the carpet, he tore the doors off the lockers, he ripped the monitors out of the wall and left holes in the building. And I cannot believe there was no one from the city on site when he devastated that building as he left. With the council manager form of government that we have here in Wichita, does that mostly fall on the manager's plate? It falls on the manager's plate, but I'm not gonna let the mayor and city officials off the hook because they are the ones that supervise city manager Layton. They are the ones that are supposed to hold him in check so that he does ha doesn't have uncontrolled power. And what did they do last year? They gave him a merit increase. So you don't think that they have held him, held his feet to the fire well enough? Absolutely not. And I think a prime example of how dependent they on are upon him for help is the lack of questions they ask when we write these complex contracts and the lack of clawbacks that they insist upon in these contracts to get the deal back if it's not developed. Do you know we didn't have an internal auditor in the city of Wichita for three years? I would say there is a lack of oversight and there is a lack of accountability and transparency in City Hall. And part of the problem, I think, is they haven't dealt with complex financial decisions and contracts before, but they are not doing their job of holding the city manager accountable. Can a mayor do that himself or herself? If you have a mayor that's in a position that understands multi-million dollar budgets, and understands complex contracts, that has written requests for proposal, as I have done, that has handled financial transactions between various parties to make sure they're legal and compliant, I think you can have an honest dialogue with not only Robert Layton as city manager or whoever the city manager is, but also with your finance director, Mark Manning, which I have done. I've had great conversations with both of those men, and I think that's what's missing right now in our city hall. Uh, you are not in the room when the city council discusses things, you know, whether things are in, uh, oh, what do they call it, closed door sessions. Um, do you think you know more than the city council people do? Ooh, or, or you care more? How would you describe it? I don't want. I don't. I don't want to make it so. That's going to make yeah. me sound like a. Yeah, and I we already I'm sorry. have problems with entitlement with some of our elected officials. So I got to be careful about how I answer that. Right. Let me just say that I have 25 years experience in writing contracts, evaluating contracts. I can write financial statements. I can audit financial statements. When I was doing fraud investigation for the FDIC, I became recognized as an expert. And they sent me to the New York region, the Kansas City region, and the Atlanta region. In fact, I lived in Atlanta for a year working for the FDIC. And I have awards in my office testifying to the work I did to find embezzlement, find fraud, find contracts that were poorly written, poorly enforced, hold those businessmen's feet to the fire, have exit interviews with Harvard-educated lawyers and Washington themselves, and they understood what I was saying, what I had found, and I could have testified in court on what I found. I was that good at financial transactions. Do mm -hmm. I think I know a lot? Let's just say I have the financial experience to do a good job working with a team to make sure we spend money wisely 
and efficiently. Mm -hmm. You made a donation to Brandon Whipple's campaign back in 19, a uh, maximum donation of $500. I did. Um, I did. So you had, you had confidence that he would be a good mayor. Oh, what a good question. You're really putting me on the spot. <laughs> I did. I didn't know Brandon Whipple very well. I, you know, as I said, I'd been working. So I knew we needed a change because Longwell's contract for the water plant probably should have gone to Jacob Engineering, but because of golf trips and other um, favored awards, it went to another firm that was not as experienced. So Longwell needed to go. He was showing that his ethics had been somewhat violated. Well, with Whipple, I was hoping he would bring in the ethics he promised, and instead, the first thing he did when he got elected was create a PAC and put his wife in charge of the PAC. That's not what you're supposed to do. Then the next thing he did is he put, as president of the park board, a campaign administrator, and then denied that he was not an Ad Astra worker, and I had talked to this person on the phone repeatedly during Whipple's campaign. The third thing he did that really upset me is he violated his own ethics policy by calling out the officer who stopped him from jumping the line at the neighborhood cleanup. And when I saw that tape and saw his behavior where he whipped out his cell phone and speed dialed city manager Layton to complain about the officer, I knew right then and there his ethics had been compromised. He was not a man of maturity and ethics and I was disappointed and that was the beginning of me thinking, we need a different mayor, mm -hmm. and started to pursue what does it take to run. Why for you a run at mayor and not a council position? Oh, that's another question I've studied too. You're asking really good questions. So when you look at the citywide um, structure, we've got various districts in d various parts of the city, and I've lived in all of them. I've lived in Riverside, I've lived in College, which is District 1. I've uh, uh, Riverside's District 6, excuse me, College Hill, which is District 1, West Side, which is District 5, even the South Side, District 3. And I was trying to figure out, do I really want to be a city council member with that current mayor leading the way, setting policy, setting the tone, and I've seen him throwing papers over the sides of the cubicle. I've seen the lack of civility and the arguing, and I thought, no, we really need a new mayor. And so that's when I told my kids and my husband and stepped forward and said, I'm going for the top. I'm going to work with finance director and city manager and do a better job with ethics, with leadership, and with integrity. And that's why I went to mayor. I'm curious about in the course of your career, where did you find good examples of leadership? Oh, gosh. I had some very, very good leaders. I had a mentor at Interest Bank. He was a senior vice president, and his name was Jolly White. And he was one of the best people to work for as I was beginning my career in accounting and as an accounting officer. And then after I had been a stay-at-home mom for 12 years, I was hired back into banking and I had a great controller. And his name was Brian Musser at Purdue University Credit Union. And he gave me the opportunity to go back into banking after being at home as a stay-at-home mom and learned that Lotus 123 had been replaced by Excel, <laughs> that we ate at our desk, that there were no secretaries typing memos, and that we had to do computer work on our own. So he allowed me to be trained and bring my skills up to snuff after being out of the industry. So both of those men I deeply respect. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, what, tell me just briefly, when did Safe Century 2 start? I 
Century 2 started July 31st of 2019 because the next day my first granddaughter was born. Okay, that's a good way to remember it. <laughs> okay, so you're four years into it and four years of being a, you know, an activist with the city council in, the city, in city hall. How do those folks treat you now? D differently than four years ago? Much differently. That's, it's really funny, when I first went to the boathouse, I didn't know anybody and I could tell they all knew each other. They were shaking hands and glad handing each other and, and really happy about this $1.2 billion development. They didn't care what I was doing, who I was, just that I was a fly in the ointment with pictures of Century 2 and they ordered me out of there just with a great disgust, let's say, towards me. Four years later, Mark Manning, when I call him, we can have a meeting, we can talk civilly, we can look at the numbers and he'll be honest with me. He's the finance director. He's yeah. the finance director. Mm -hmm. If I find an error or a mistake, he will own up to it and acknowledge it. City Manager Layton, we have a good relationship too. Um, he, the first meeting we had, he was honest with me. I don't know if he regrets that or not, but told me <laughs> that he was the one who made the decision to defer maintenance on Century 2. And I was stunned and asked him why. But we have a good relationship. In fact, once when I spoke at city council and said they had not updated the financial reports on the website, when I was done speaking and sitting in the audience, the finance director, Mark Manning, came over behind me and tapped me on the shoulder and briefly said, my staff just uploaded it. And it's that kind of rapport and it's that kind of respect for each other's work that I think um, makes me feel the best about the work I've done. Mm -hmm. I, you've, you've written or either written or said accountability and transparency must be demonstrated by City Hall. Um, and I think as a mayor, you can probably dictate that, can't you? Can't a, can a, a mayor just demand that from... Yes, from yes. And here's an example of where I've tried to demand it and they haven't listened and I will listen. When we didn't have an internal auditor for three years, I held up the financial statements that we publish every year, and I said, you all are saying that an internal auditor reviewed our contracts over $50,000. This has not happened. You're basically lying on our financial statements every year that you print this. And they didn't do it. They continued to say we had an internal auditor, even though we didn't. This is not the way I think cities should run. If we don't have something or we're not operating according to the administrative regulations or our charter ordinances, we need to be honest and say that. We need to be accountable. If we make mistakes, I've seen so many times, like with the Wichita Police Department, where city manager will say, oops, I need another study to see what went wrong. It's like, no, if I flubbed up, when I was with the FDIC, do you think they'd say, oh, let's do a study and see what Celeste did wrong? That would have been in my performance review. I would have been deemed for that, maybe put on probation, I don't know. But I would not have gotten a merit increase for a flub like that. That's part of accountability. That's part of transparency. And if I make a mistake, which I have before, everybody does, I'll own up to it. Mm -hmm. Accountability and transparency are going to be more important than ever over the next few years with the budget shortfalls, $18 million in 2025 and maybe even more in subsequent years. The ARPA funding is running out, and we're going to be hit by that as a city. Um, how, as a mayor, would you try to try to fight a budget and get it manageable again? That's another good question. Um, a few things that I've seen right off the bat is where we've given money to do things that we could stop doing. For example, 
visit Wichita, get $7 million in TBID money and from the hotel guest tax. And they've been accruing so much surplus that they don't spend that they're sitting on almost $4 million in cash and investments. I call it a slush fund. Why are we doing this? Why are we giving Visit Wichita millions that they're not spending? And by the way, the president of Visit Wichita, Susie Santos, makes more than the city manager, more than the Wichita chief of police, and that's an imbalanced salary range as well. So another thing I would say about them is not only come back on their, the millions they get, but why are we paying rent in Waterwalk? Why aren't we putting them in the empty central public library? Then let's look at the police station there in Old Town. Did you know we're paying Dave Burke 200000 a year to rent office space for the substation that gives him free security in Old Town? Got to relook at some of these agreements. Maybe, I'm just suggesting, they could move into the second floor of the former public library. And right there's two instances that could save half a million dollars a year plus the millions we give to visit Wichita. There's a lot of examples of waste where we've given money to, let's say, Ruffin, who bought the Hyatt Hotel from us. Why are we giving him all the revenue from Century Two for meeting room income and for food and beverage sold in Century Two? I don't know when we worked out this sweetheart deal, but I've asked city council three times, renegotiate giving him the revenues from Century Two because actually that's taxpayer money. Is the city going to have to start facing decisions like that to, to survive the next few years? Yes. I'm really worried in particular about the ballpark because when City Manager Layton came up with the estimates for the ballpark, instead of using the consultant numbers, he doubled them. He used his own estimates and said, nope, I think we're going to get more revenue and more income. So we overbuilt the ball stadium, and the debt on the ball stadium requires the city cover it in the case we're not making money on the ball stadium. And so that means if the ball stadium doesn't do better because it's losing money right now, it's gonna come out of the general fund. So yes, we have some tough decisions to face because of bad decisions we've made in the past. Is that going to involve a, a, a tax increase? I, I make a pledge that if I get in as mayor, the first thing I'm going to do is cut this excess that I've seen going to various um, privately managed entities and start being more careful about our spending. And I'm hoping that I can hold the line and keep the budget in a revenue neutral status for next year or the year after I'm elected. Uh, let's talk about Century 2 and how it plays a part in the East Bank uh, development that's been talked about and nothing has really been done. It was, of course, a, a $1.2 billion plan in 2019, then the pandemic hit, and now it's a $400 million plan that's really not going anywhere right now. Um, with a repurposed Century 2, where Century 2 might not have been part of the first plan. Um, do you feel like you saved Century 2? Not yet. It's when not we, over till it's, it's over. It's not over till it's over because even when we turned in 17,000 signatures, the city took those signatures and then turned around and sued us, sued me personally. It was stunning to have being served papers at my home because they sued us in court saying what we did was invalid. So um, we didn't get the right to vote. I've asked repeatedly for it to be put on the ballot. You know they could put it on the August primary, August 1st. They could put it in the general election in November. They haven't done either one. So unfortunately, even though it's historic property, and we now get 25% tax credits on everything we spend to fix the building. 
I don't think it's saved. And I think the problem with whatever they're coming up with, like the 400 million you just mentioned, they want to spend 30 million to turn the concert hall into a ballroom. And I can't remember the last time anyone really needed a 30 million ballroom in <laughs> Century 2. So I don't know where they're coming up with these ideas, but if we would just take care of the building, it could serve its purpose, which is to be the community civic performance center and keep prices down, make it affordable to the public. Mary Jane Teal's still a cool little theater, exhibition hall, concert hall. They all provide affordable cultural arts and performing um, uh, performance that I think benefits the community. And if we privatize that or take it away, you'll see prices go up. And I'm really proud of the fact that I saw Hamilton perform at Century Two, which they said could not be done. And it, and it did happen. Are you, are you pleased, are you a proponent of what they're talking about with expanding the Bob Brown expo, expo, Exhibition Hall, or whatever it's called, Expo Hall, um, to make it bigger and, and kind of keep its purpose? Um, I don't have a problem with them changing um, Bob Brown. I just hope, and if I'm mayor, I'll make sure the numbers support the cost, which is something we never do really, is an accurate cost-benefit analysis. And then it's interesting that Ruffin bought more land to do a second Tower of the Hyatt, and yet he hasn't started construction there yet. Let's not give him any more subsidies. We gave him our public land cheaply. He's scraping revenue out of Century Two. Let's make him pay for that second Hyatt Hotel. And then yes, he can tag on to a new convention center. But wouldn't it be nice if for a change, we could actually see the numbers that justify this? Hmm. And a, a performing arts addition, which is not part of this $400 million plan, do you think it'll have to be just totally private investment to happen? I think it would have to be private investment, and we're not against private investment building whatever they want to build. I just want to see Century 2 as an iconic, beloved building stay where it's at, refurbished, use the 25% tax credits to make it look nicer, to take care of the neglect that's been shown over the past 20 years, and then use that beautiful, brutalist library that was built at the same time with taxpayer money that we voted on in 1961 to use that building as well, because in that one block area, we've got Carnegie Library, which Fidelity Bank renovated, it's Beaux Art style. We've got the Sedgwick County Historic Museum, which is Proudfoot and Bird from 1890. I call it the Century District, and those buildings are unique, one-of-a-kind structures that you cannot replicate. Let's maintain those buildings. I'm just so proud of how beautiful those buildings are in the Century District. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Jeff Longwell, when he was mayor, was accused of being too close to business developers, uh, and it may have cost him in 2019 with the, it was not reelected. How close or what kind of relationships should a mayor have with business leaders? Not necessarily developers, but developers, you know, banking, uh, all types of community leaders. So it's really important to have a good relationship and to collaborate with our businesses. I'm a graduate of WSU. I've been out to the tech center. 
I've seen some of the amazing things they've done with um, Airbus coming to Wichita, having the ATF new crime uh, forensic lab built out there. I think we're doing amazing things with NetApp out at the WSU Center. I'm really excited about what we're doing downtown to bring culinary arts and the sciences. My first husband, yes, I've been remarried. I was divorced <laughs> after the first year. But he was a KU med school student, and he was one of Farha's residents when I was first married. And so we've got a really strong and excellent KU med school, so I'm glad to see them partnering with WSU and expanding those offerings to the community. I've also had good dialogue with John Rolfe with the chamber. I'm a member of the Wichita Area Sister City um, organization, and both our sister cities, China and Mexico, developing those relationships, I've brought them as guests to meet with them and to meet with downtown development and Greater Wichita Partnership to try to spur development and exchange between us and our sister cities, also Orléans, France. Mm -hmm. So I've always tried to be a good business advocate, even when I was working for the banks at downtown. Mm -hmm. It's important. Um, I'm curious what you think a mayor and a, and a city government can do to help someone start a business. Are we doing everything right now we can be? Um, I think we did with the ARPA funds. I saw that we, we gave a lot of ARPA funds to small business development, but it's going away. So we have to look at ways to support the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, continue to help the Wichita Independent Business Association, to help the other minority groups. I've heard as I've been doing my talking tours and listening tours that there's a lot of small business owners out there that are struggling. Even some of my friends that have held meet and greets have said, how can the city support me when they give millions away to like Ruffin and the Hyatt Hotel? We need to do more to support small businesses and minorities, absolutely. I'm curious if you've thought about you as a mayor, could you be as effective as a mayor as you are right now as a watchdog? Absolutely. When I've been, just think about it this way. I've been doing research. It's like wearing a blindfold and shooting at a target and not knowing where I'm aiming. I've done a pretty good job without help filing freedom of information and trying to look at the finances. But if I can get inside and actually work with the finance director and actually talk with the city manager on a collaborative level, I know I can help spend our money in the best way that will help Wichita. And keep in mind, I was a team leader when I worked in the financial industry. I was a president of user groups. I was asked back to management seminars as a speaker. So people recognize that I speak um, thoughtfully, carefully, and I use facts, not fiction, when I talk about capital projects or contracts that need incentives. Talking about capital, capital projects, the city, oh, you can debate whether they tend to overuse things like TIF districts, CIDs, star bonds. Um, tell me what you think the city's role should be in using those programs. Or are we overusing them now? Well, unfortunately, um, the ballpark uses $40 million in star bonds. And when city manager Layton was allowed to change the estimates, we got in over our heads. Luckily, Topeka changed that, and now they require independent consultants to come up with estimates for star bond projects. So that was a huge mistake we allowed to happen. Um, with TIFs, one thing I've discovered is we give TIFs in areas we call blighted, like Riverside TIF, 
And really, there was nothing blighted about Sims Park in that area. They found a bag of trash and a graffiti tag, which if you go along Kellogg, you could see anywhere. So then we put in subsidies then to do the infrastructure and to help Riverside TIF, when actually it should have been special assessments, right? And then with the CID districts, which we have about 20 CID districts, it's really hard to see if we're doing well and how we're getting a return on investment. And it's really puzzling when we set up CIDs like Nasker Park, that CID is supposed to take care of the parklands, but yet they've come back to us for more money to plant trees and to rip up the rest of the grass and put in artificial turf. Um, that's not how the CID was written. So there's a lot of questionable things that happen, even though they say this is how it's gonna be, that's really not how it ends up. I'm, I'm getting the mental picture of you in the mayor's office as being a little bit of a Tasmanian devil. Um, oh my goodness! <laughs> and, and take that as a take that as a compliment. Um, wondering if you would be too much for for city manager, for city government, for the finance department. Um, I think it would be a breath of fresh air. Mm -hmm. I think when you look at the most recent survey the city conducted. 72% of the people who responded to that survey said they didn't trust City Hall. Right. Let me repeat that. What, what, what study was this? I'm sorry. It was on the Wichita.gov website. It's an NDA survey they did. Okay. And one of the questions was, do you think City Hall is being honest? 72% said no. And 69% they didn't believe the city acted in their best interests. I think what's, what my goal will be to reassure folks as they study the candidates and my qualifications is, we need economic development, but right now we need to focus on public safety, quality of life, and being a good steward of taxpayer funds because I think we're all filling the bite. And now that ARPA funds have stopped and we're all on our own without handouts, we've really gotta be good stewards of taxpayer money. And if we're gonna spend millions on a new development, we absolutely need to give voters the right to vote, and that's been missing from recent development. And 50 million has been the figure you've used for a, a low a floor. Benchmark. For, yeah, benchmark. Thank yes. you. Uh, when you're talking with, with people who are going to be voting for you or against you, what, what are you hearing from them? What do they oh. want to know the most, and what are they most concerned about? Public safety. I hear that a lot. They're worried about the shootings in Wichita, the lack of enough police officers, and they're upset when they hear that police statistics have been misstated by, a, well, I won't say who, but have been misstated by uh, elected officials. They're also concerned that pools have been closed, their roads are in disarray, and yet their property taxes are increasing. They don't think that this is fair. Another thing I've heard too is, and I spoke about this in 2019, about contaminated water. Only at the time I spoke in 2019, I thought we only had two and come to find out we've got 29th and Grove. So those residents are really concerned about groundwater contamination. Mm -hmm. Evergy power poles is another concern of neighbors in that area. So I've been all around Wichita and it seems like I've hit the nail on the head. Public safety, quality of life, and being a good steward of taxpayer funds. Mm -hmm. They also tell me when they've heard me speak and I've given them the examples of what I found, they want me to broadcast what I say and what I talk about across the city. And that's where they get upset is, why isn't the paper reporting on this? Why, aren't you, why isn't this on the news? And I try to tell them it is, it's just hard for people to catch it 
when it's been in the paper once or the Wichita Business Journal. Mm -hmm. But they're absolutely dismayed at what I've found when I've done my investigations into our finances. You know the biggest error I found in city finances to date? Mm. $18 million. The city said it was a typo in production. Isn't that stunning? Mm. And I've got it right here with me if you want to see it. We'll, we'll link to it if we can on our, in our blog. Celeste, thanks so much for joining me. Uh, good luck to you as, as you approach August 1st in the primary. Um, and if you're one of the two finalists in, for November, we hope to have you back on. Thank you so much for allowing me to speak today and vote for me August 1st. <laughs> Thank you, Kirk. Well, that's it for Biz Talk with Bill Roy this week, episode 316. We will have the third in our series of mayoral candidate interviews next week. A reminder, you have until July 11th to register to vote, and early voting for the August 1st primary begins on July 17th. Check out all our podcast episodes at our Biz Talk with Bill Roy hub. It's at wichitabusinessjournal.com. Thank you for listening and subscribing. Biz Talk with Bill Roy is a production of the Wichita Business Journal. Thanks very much to our sponsor, Equity Bank. Creating the business concept turned out to be the easy part. The challenges that follow is where Equity Bank comes in. Equity Bank was built by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. Let them help your business evolve and solve your challenges. Tomorrow is here. Visit them today at equitybank.com forward slash evolve. Be well and be safe. Have a profitable week. <laughs>